be sorry to misplace my Bible, among other things. Um, but let's, uh, let's ask God's uh, blessing on our time. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, thank Thee for this day, for the occasion to meet and to worship. Uh, pray Thy great Spirit to come and teach us, uh, remind us of the great uh, duties that we have in the Scriptures, uh, to live faithfully before a faithful God. It's uh, in the name of Christ we ask these things. Amen. Uh, before we start, uh, kind of a we're very close to a transition time in our study, um, in which um, I don't do all the talking. Um, uh, and wh- what I do is I make some assignments from from the books we're going to read. And uh, ask you to make a very short, short presentation. If if you're terrified of speaking in front of crowds, you know, just let me know. Uh, but but the intent uh, here is, as you know, uh, uh, sometimes the best way to learn something is for you to work through it. Okay. So um, anyway. Uh, so after, after uh, we're in the second to last chapter, as I recall. Uh, and at that point, we will turn and read Edward Palmer's uh, The Five Points of Calvinism. Okay. So um, we're not going to read the whole book, uh, even though I would encourage you to at some point uh, pick up and continue reading. Uh, but in particular... Uh, chapters 1 to 5. So we've got total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement. Uh, uh, as you know, I think a better description of that is particular redemption because both uh, both the Reformed camp as well as the semi-Pelagian and Arminian camp limit the atonement. Uh, we limit the extent, they limit the nature of it. Uh, they limit what Christ did upon the cross. We we limit to whom He did it for, uh, and that's and that's by way of review. But uh, hopefully that'll come out as well. So, uh, having said that, um, I need uh, five parties. Anyone want to <laughs> start out by volunteering uh, before I press gang? Um, <laughs> Here we go. So you want to take chapter one, total depravity, and and again, uh, you won't have the whole hour. Uh, uh, I would uh, I would plan on you know ten to twelve max out at fifteen minutes, and really I just want you to define what it is, what it isn't. Take it to some key verses. Um, if there's some other relevant facts in there you want to throw in. Um, um, uh, but these, you know, uh, here again, uh, you really need to uh, learn uh, the theology here uh, uh, because I think you will find as you talk with people, uh, the church is radically redefining uh, uh, essentially the Reformed faith uh, as well as, sad to say, the Protestant faith. So. I'm sorry. You? Oh, yeah. Sure, sure. I mean, I, I do. So, Any, 
So we got, so I need four more, ladies and gentlemen, and any other, okay? Um, unconditional election. Three more. Uh, Suzanne, limited atonement. Jose, irresistible grace. The last one's perseverance of the saints. Gennaro, you want to be, oh, okay, Gary, perseverance of the saints. Okay. So again, uh, next week we're going to talk glorification, and then we will start here. So uh, we will probably do two, maybe three at a pop. So this will be kind of a short. Um, uh, and and again, let me let me um, remind you of something that we've done throughout our study. Uh, uh, always go to the verses because the theology obviously is meaningless without. Uh, the validation of the scriptures. Um, everybody has a theological system. The question is, is it biblical? Does it represent biblical truth? Biblical orthodoxy? Okay, so, uh, any, any questions? Good. Um, so we are, we're on the chapter of perseverance. Um, and, um, uh, like uh, all all of uh, the points of the Reformed faith, and, and keep in mind, uh, uh, you know, the title of that book is something of a misnomer because John Calvin did not develop these five points. Uh, historically speaking, uh, the Dutch church, there was a controversy in the Dutch church. Uh, one of their professors by the name of uh, Jacob Arminius uh, began to deviate uh, from the Reformed faith, uh, and his students uh, adopted uh, his position. And so there was a theological controversy, and the church met uh, uh, at a synod called the Synod of Dort, and the Synod of Dort comes up with those five points, not, not John Calvin. I mean, Calvin you know, would, would agree with them all, but... Um, um, and they are, uh, I believe, a very condensed expression of the Reformed faith. Um, and what I'm trying to get you to be sensitive to is to understand, as I mentioned previously, that uh, uh, the vast majority of churches in Oklahoma are either uh, followers of Arminius or Roman Catholic or Orthodox, hence semi-Pelagian. So uh, it's a good it's a good reminder to, uh, uh, to to recognize, you know, we're not just reading this so that we can, you know, gain some knowledge. We're reading it so that we can be, we can be better witnesses of Christ and the truth of the Scriptures. Uh, okay, so um, perseverance. Uh, same introduction as last time. We have shifted from the legal events of justification and adoption. In both of those events, we, have, we, we, we don't participate at all uh, because dead men can't participate. Uh, they occur in a courtroom uh, and God justifies us and then he adopts us as his sons. Okay. Um, uh, as the Spirit applies it to our hearts, we, we believe because, because we are regenerated. So, um, 
But again, uh, legal events, not moral. Uh, the great confusion today is justification's a moral event. God does something, and I do something. Uh, he does it, uh, I'm not just say from heaven, but in my heart, I have to do something. Uh, we are attempting to keep those doctrines distinct. Uh, justification and adoption are legal events. Uh, in the same way, for example, I know you can relate to this as I shared last week, uh, when parents adopt an infant, goes before court. That infant has no say in the matter. I guess it could revoke it as it got older, uh, but, uh, uh, but again, um, just, just the application there, uh, you go before a judge, the adoption is uh, finalized, uh, and so there's a decision by the court. Same thing in justification and adoption. When we come to sanctification, uh, that is a moral event. The Spirit working in us. Uh, in justification, it's alien to us. Uh, in a courtroom, now it's within us. The Spirit of God uh, comes to us and begins to work within us. Uh, uh, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Uh, for it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay. That language is never used of justification. Uh, Romans 4, 5. Uh, so it's, it's in us. And the Spirit is at work, and uh, the effect that we experience in our lives is expressed in, we begin to lay hold of the means of grace. Uh, we pray, we read the scriptures, we go to church, we partake of the sacraments. We're doing those things. Okay? Uh, um, uh, because the Spirit's working in us. Okay? Uh, so, uh, uh, there's another there's another event that we participate in that is very, very critical, and that is the doctrine of perseverance. Uh, I understand the doctrine of per perseverance to be a subset of the doctrine of sanctification. Okay. Uh, uh, we persevere because the Spirit of God's persevering within us. Okay. If, if you think about, if you think about some of the uh, you know great you know saints of the Old Testament. Um, David stumbles pretty tragically. God convicts him and uh, he confesses and repents. There is, there is restoration, restoration and he continues on in the faith. Um, we're watching the patriarch stumble in our study of Genesis. You know, always an encouragement to me because I'm, I too am a flawed person just like you. So it's a reminder of God's grace that, that he, he, he doesn't save the perfect. And neither does He make us perfect in this life. So we persevere in the faith uh, because uh, the Spirit of God uh, comes upon us and never departs. Okay. Um, so let's let's uh, uh, Let's look at uh, the notes if you have them. Uh, Murray begins with the question, is there not a biblical warrant against it? Okay. 
Let's turn to John 15. I'm going to read verses uh, 1 to 6. Okay. Um, I'm the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Uh, notice he takes away. Isn't that a warrant against perseverance that we can fall away from the faith? Uh, remember uh, this um, uh, arboreal metaphor is used by the Apostle Paul Romans of the nation of Israel. They weren't producing fruit, so he cuts the tree down. Uh, uh, God doesn't save us, you know, just for our, for ourselves' sakes. He saves us to be witnesses for Him. He saves us to go out into the world and proclaim the gospel. Uh, because those are evidences of genuine Christianity. Uh, and so, uh, uh, if you think of the metaphor, uh, you, you have to recognize, for example, in Grace Bible Church, um, I don't see hearts. I can't grade hearts, but God, God can see hearts. So people occasionally come in and say, well, fellow, I'm a Christian. Well, I mean, obviously, I'm going to be gracious to them and, and uh, certainly hope they are. Um, um, but I don't, I don't ever really know. Okay. The church is a, is a mixed company of saved and those who profess faith in Christ who, uh, have a false hope because their belief is in something else other than Christ. You know, they come to church, uh, for whatever reason, uh, make a parent happy, um, um, make a spouse happy. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I just, I don't know what reasons, uh, but uh, all I'm affirming to you is uh, the church is a mixed company. Uh, hopefully, Grace Bible Church uh, is, is uh, less and less uh, the latter and more and more those who have been truly redeemed uh, by Christ. But keep in mind the entire essence of, uh, of our lessons uh, Christ comes and redeems us and purchases us and then dispatches His Spirit to change us. Yeah. So he, he doesn't leave us uh, unchanged. And to me, that is a radical point of the doctrine of sanctification. He comes to change us. And over time and in degree, if there's no fruit and no change, uh, that that individual should begin to question is, you know, was my, you know, did I get saved at a revival thinking that if I walked the aisle I would be a Christian or I raised my hand or I just signed a decision card. Again, I don't know the genuineness of any of those sayings. All I know is what I see. Uh, if I was to see in my life that there was no fruit, no interest, uh, had no interest in reading the Bible or praying, I just went to church for whatever reason, uh, make business contacts, or I mean, I don't know, uh, I should have a biblical warrant. Hey, is, is, is my faith really genuine? 
And notice what Christ says. Um, he takes uh, every branch, pardon me, that bears fruit, He prunes it. If you're a genuine believer in Christ, the Spirit of God's going to prune your life. Now, why do we prune? Create more fruit. And, and that fruit is to be visible in the world. Uh, we are witnesses in the world of the glory of God, of the life-changing reality of the work of the Spirit within us. Uh, verse 3, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, I in him. He bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them to the fire, and they are burned. Um, verse 6 uh, is, uh, is literally in the Old Testament applied to Israel. Um, think, think, for example, when Christ comes to the fig tree and he's hungry. What's well, a fig tree? Uh, I'm sorry, I don't know anything about figs. I know a little bit about apple trees and orange trees because uh, I like those things, but I don't eat a lot of figs in my life. Um, but he goes to a fig tree and he expects it to have fruit on it. There's no fruit. What does he do? No, the thing. I'm sorry, Jessica. He curses it. He withers it. Okay. Um, so, it, I mean, it is it is a reminder um, um, of the fact that the Spirit works in us to produce fruit to prune us. So. Um, so uh, I mean, this is a really tough metaphor, but just think about it. Um, I don't know if y'all have ever known anyone that, uh, you know, tells you they're a Christian and maybe for a short season they have an abiding interest. They go to church and, uh, and then something happens and they slowly begin to disengage and then they almost become indistinct from the world. Uh, that's in a sense what's being referenced here. Christ, um, as the Lord God Almighty, expects us to bear fruit and gives us His Spirit uh, to, to prune us uh, to do that. I would see the pruning, for example, in the context of discipline. God, uh, one of the reasons we know that David's faith was genuine is God sent the Spirit, uh, pardon me, the prophet, to go convict him. Uh, which is what the Spirit of God does. We sin. He, 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 uh, he wants us to acknowledge that we're sinners uh, and to uh, confess and to do an about face uh, and to repent. Uh, so David does. Had, this, had the prophet left him alone, we would all begin to wonder. What's the difference between David and Judas? What's the difference between uh, 
uh, Peter. Uh, Peter sinned greatly, right? He denies the Lord. That's a serious breach of faithfulness to Christ. Okay? Um, what's the difference between Peter and say uh, the men mentioned by the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, uh, Demas, having loved the present world, has deserted me. Well, obviously the major difference in Peter's life is the Lord went to him, okay? recovers him. Okay? Uh, remember, remember the words of our Savior in John 6, of all that the Father has given me, I lose none. Christ doesn't lose any of His own. When He purchases someone, they belong to Him forever. But He also dispatches the Spirit to change their lives. All right, let's turn to Hebrew. This is a very difficult passage, by the way. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Very difficult passage. Uh, the Arminians uh, and the semi-Pelagians or the Roman Catholics or um, uh, the Orthodox Church holes that people can fall away from the faith. Okay? You can come to Christ and then uh, lose yourself. So in that sense, uh, I'm not sure what Christ means when He says in John 6, for all the fathers given me, I lose none. Uh, uh, I know how there are many and answers that. Uh, but... Uh, uh, but keep in mind, there is a radical difference between Reformed Christianity and the vast majority of Christians in, in Oklahoma City. And I don't say that pejoratively. I'm just, it's what it is. I'm just explaining to you what the Reformed faith is because Grace Bible Church is a Reformed church. Uh, Christ loses none, but He dispatches the Spirit to prune and to, and to uh, uh, produce fruit. So let's look at uh, Hebrews 6, uh, verses 4 and 5. Um, this would be a proof text for the Arminians uh, who says that we can uh, uh, fall away. Uh, I'm going to read um, uh, beginning verse 4. For, for in the case of those who have once enlightened, pardon me, have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. Obviously a very difficult verse. Um, um, the, uh, the author is, is writing... Uh, his church, because it's come under suffering. We know that from the last chapter. Uh, part of the suffering is probably economic. Um, oh, you're a Christian, you're fired, that, that type of thing. Um, it's obvious from the language of the book of Hebrews that the vast majority of the church in the beginning uh, were Jewish Christians, Jewish converts. So they come out of the Old Covenant into the New Covenant. Um, some of them are, because of the suffering, are considering uh, leaving the faith. There's no evidence whatsoever in the book that any of them ever did. 
but um, yeah, they're, they're, they're certainly they are considering leaving the faith. So the author, as a pastor, writes to interdict them because of the seriousness of doing that. Uh, I mean, it, it is a serious breach to say Christ doesn't work, Christianity doesn't work, I'm out of here. Um, if you will, to disengage. It's like, uh, you know, a number of years, when I was in college, post-Civil War, uh, um, um, uh, I, I worked one summer as a brakeman switchman. We made freight trains. And, uh, you know, the engineer and the foreman were always kicking cars off and putting them on a side uh, rail. So this is someone who says, I want, off the, I want out of the train. Disengage me. I, I no longer have an interest. Uh, so in that sense, they fall away. Uh, notice the, the seriousness of the warning. It's impossible to renew them again to repentance. Uh, so that apostasy, I mean, this is the sin of apostasy. Christ doesn't work. I don't want anything to do with him. I am, I'm gone from him. Phil, quit calling me. Okay. Quit reminding me, Bower Socks. I don't want to hear it anymore. Doesn't work. Or, or whatever people say. I mean, people don't use that kind of language, but, but they live that kind of language. Okay, that's a, uh, it's an important point. Uh, the author book of Hebrews is saying, if you forsake Christ, you can never come back. I mean, notice the text. It's impossible to renew them again to repentance. Why is that? Because there's no other sacrifice. There is no other... If you walk away from Christ, there is no other sacrifice for sin other than Him. So, so this is a serious breach of loyalty. Uh, so what I'm suggesting is uh, the author is a good pastor. He has a mixed church. It's undergoing suffering. Think about that for a minute. If great suffering were to come upon, uh, I mean, let's say physical suffering were to come upon the church in America. Uh, I, 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 think, I, think, I think the church would be winnowed. Uh, hopefully it wouldn't. I mean, I, I don't know. But, uh, um, uh, you know, there, uh, uh, there is a price to be paid as a Christian. Uh, in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, uh, uh, you're, you're going to face tribulation. You're going to face suffering. Okay? Uh, so, that's, that's what winnows a lot of people away from the faith. Uh, hopefully not, but yeah, it is certainly a motivating cause. That's what's occurring here. So the author is a good pastor. He writes to interdict them. No evidence that any of them ever left, but it is a warning passage. The book of Hebrews has five warning passages, and all of them are very similar to this. Okay. Now, the book of Hebrews is not the only warning passage. There's warning passages throughout the New Testament. Um, uh, and they are warnings about two very particular aspects of the faith. The first is morality. Okay. 
those of you who were here when I preached through Romans chapter 1, uh, people who turn to sexual vice, the Apostle Paul says God turns them over. Three times he says that. Okay, God, God turns them over to greater judgment. Uh, you know, I, I'd remind you, our, our culture is, I mean, this is rifling through our culture. It's rifling through the American church. Uh, it doesn't rifle through the New Testament. Uh, uh, Ephesians uh, 5, uh, the Apostle Paul says of immorality, those who practice such things, present tense, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So those are that, that's, that's what I mean by a warning passage. Okay. Now, do Christians commit immorality well sure they commit every sin imaginable uh, but they don't remain in the sin why don't they remain in the sin I'm sorry that's exactly right Joanne that's exactly the spirit of God doesn't say oh my gosh I'm sorry Jesus you purchased them I did the best I could you know now that that's not the way the triune God works I mean, those of you that are parents, well, my three-year-old's out in the street playing. I told him not to. No, we go out and rescue him. That's what the Spirit does. So, um, so that's the point of this warning passage. The, the, the point that Murray is bringing here, doesn't the Bible speak against perseverance? He's saying, well, there are some verses, but you've got to work through them. So notice what it is not. It does not mean that every professing Christian or church member is secure in the faith. Again, Grace Bible Church is a visible church. Beyond the visible church, there is an invisible church of those who truly belong to the Savior because He's purchased them and sent the Spirit to call them and to bring them into the faith. Hopefully, Grace Bible Church has has more of the latter than the former. Okay? Relatively easy to join a church, right? It's impossible to join the church of Jesus Christ except God give you a new heart. And that's the new covenant. That's the genius of the new covenant. I'll take away your heart of flesh and, 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 and give you a heart of the Spirit. Okay? So what does that mean? It means a lot of things, but one of the things it means is that God does a radical events in our life. Over time and in degree, I'm not saying it's, it all happens within a week of whenever you come to faith, or it's just over time and in degree, and that's what sanctification is. It's a progressive event throughout our life. It occurs from the moment we're regenerated until we pass away and go to be with the Lord. Okay? Uh, let's look at... Uh, um, Mark chapter 4. Okay, this is the, this is a very interesting uh, context. Uh, the context is the parable of the sower. Okay. Uh, you remember the parable? Uh, um, there is, uh, man goes out in the field, he plants, and different things happen. Uh, 
Uh, and sometimes there's no fruit. Okay. Uh, but one, one of the seed bears fruit. So uh, that's the context. Uh, Mark chapter, uh, why? Ended up in Matthew. Parable of Swords in Matthew 2. Uh, Mark chapter 4. Read verse 5. Uh, so verse 3. Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And it came about that he was sowing. Some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. Because it had no root, it withered away. Okay. Another seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. It yielded no crop. What's that a reference to? Different types of people who visibly come into the church says, "Well, I'm a Christian." Okay. Uh, sometimes someone says, "You know, let's say they go to a revival meeting." And again, I'm not against revival meetings, but let's say they have an emotional experience and they leave. Uh, they leave the revival meeting uh, and. Um, who knows what happens to them? Uh, but they eventually fade away. Again, Satan comes to do what? Take the seed. Okay? Rip it out. Thorns come in. The problems of life, sufferings in life, difficulties, challenges in life, they begin to choke out. So, uh, verse 6, the sun scorches it and it withers away. The genuine, the genuine fruit is in verse 8. And other seed fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they were yielding a crop that were producing 30, 60, and 100 fold. That, that is a picture of, a, of, of genuine faith. And notice different yields. You know, we're not all the same. I mean, not everyone's a Billy Graham or, you know, uh, whomever. But the point is, uh, God comes and, and produces fruit in our life. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians. I planted, or, or pardon me, uh, uh, reference to Paul and Apollos. Uh, they planted and they watered, but God causes the growth. In the case of every genuine believer, God is going to cause growth. Because God wants a harvest. Okay? Um, and then notice what Jesus says, verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we, we need sometimes we need to examine ourselves. Um, um, and that's the point. Uh, that Murray makes when he says it does not disallow a temporary faith or falling away. Okay. Um, so uh, th there is such a thing as a as a temporary faith. 
who knows what it's the product of. Someone has an emotional event in their life and uh, they say, well, I might as well try Jesus. I hear from a lot of people that you trust Christ and he fixes everything in your life. Well, I mean, he does, but certainly nothing immediate. Um, so just keep those things in mind. Uh, but keep in mind in terms of your life, 30, 60, and 100 fold. Okay. God doesn't send his son to plant seed uh, uh, for no reason. He wants a harvest. Okay. And there's going to be a harvest at the end of the age. So it's a, it's, a, it's a reminder, but it's also a telling illustration of perseverance. Okay. Uh, 2C, it does not ignore a salvation irrespective of perseverance. Okay, we've, we've established this. The Spirit is working within us. One of the products of that is we persevere in the faith. Uh, perseverance implies difficulty. It implies uh, we're going to go through difficult times in our life. Uh, it implies that there are some times when you say to yourself in your prayers, Lord, where are you? I'm in a wilderness. Uh, you know, uh, just because you come a become a Christian doesn't mean everything's going to be, you know, it'll become rosy. Uh, it's the failure of the health and wealth gospel. Trust Christ and He'll heal you of cancer. Trust Christ and you'll be happy forever. Uh, I mean, that's just not a theology that's uh, depicted and expressed in the Scriptures. We are, we are going to suffer in the faith. Okay? Um, Philippians 1.29, it's been appointed to you not only to believe into Him, but to suffer for Him. So, that implies perseverance. You encounter difficulties and you say, Lord, at some point you're going to work it out. I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight and I'm going to continue on for the glory of God. That's why we're here. Oh my. Um, let's turn to uh, Revelation 13.10. If anyone is destined to captivity, for captivity he goes. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Notice the reference here. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Turn to 14.10. Uh, 14.12, I'm sorry. Again, here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Two critical events here. There's a moral change, but there's also no change in the faith that we receive from the apostles. Um, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, the things that you have heard and seen in me in the presence of many witnesses, these things teach the faithful men who will teach others also. The corpus of our faith is to be transmitted generationally. 
we have no warrant whatsoever to change it. We, we, we can't change the gospel. We can't change the truth. We're to pass it on. Uh, churches that are playing around with alternative lifestyles need to really ponder that. Um, because again, we don't change, we don't change the faith. Um, I understand I'm going over a little bit here. Um, uh, 3B, it is an intense, concentrated devotion to the means of grace. Okay. Um, So, uh, just think of the word perseverance. The, uh, the Greek word literally is to abide under. Uh, now, we don't, we don't translate words literally. We, we always translate them contextually. But that in and of itself is a picture of someone that's kind of struggling. Uh, but we abide under the Word of God. Not on it and not above it, but under it. So we live a life over time and in degree of obeying God, keeping our faith uh, pure, uh, uh, holding fast uh, the word of life. And uh, sometimes we're going to struggle and, and stumble and fall. But at some point, we pick, up, pick ourselves up and go on because that's evidence of the Spirit working within us. So all I'm suggesting you here is that sanctification is a subset. It, pardon me, it's the larger controlling force and that perseverance is a subset of that. Because the Spirit is persevering within us, we persevere. And that's the critical point of this doctrine. The Spirit is persevering within us and therefore we persevere outwardly in the faith, remaining true to the faith and experiencing more transformation. Okay. Uh, any any quick questions here? And and again, I apologize for. Um, um, a sad to say, it's a doctrine that's rejected by uh, uh, most most Protestant churches, and certainly by Roman Catholic uh, and Orthodox churches, uh, because we can fall away. Uh, uh, we can't. Peter says, because we're kept by the power of God. And uh, we w we'll, we'll review this again when we read through Murray uh, chapter 5 on perseverance. Okay, let's, uh, pardon me for going over 60 seconds, but let's, let's close in a, a word of prayer. Uh, our Father, help us to uh, sift in our minds uh, these great biblical truths uh, held uh, continually for thousands of years by the true church. And uh, may we ponder in our own lives uh, the majesty of the Spirit working within us to change us morally, uh, sometimes to change us doctrinally, uh, but also to produce uh, fruit for the glory of our great God who has uh, planted the seed of the gospel in our hearts uh, that there might be increase uh, for his kingdom's sake. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.